You are now tuned in to the AddictedToSuccess.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next-level game-changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on AddictedToSuccess.com. So, Jarek Robbins, you just released your book, Live It. Achieve success by living with purpose. I think I've got the audio version. I've got like three of the uh, paperbacks, man. And I've just finished reading it. And I've got to say, it's an amazing book. And I just love what you're doing, man. I love that, you know, you're out there learning, living and giving back to the world. So congratulations on your, your new book launch. Oh, thanks, man. We've been working really hard on it. And we're, we're excited to see what's happening. We've already, we're in the first month and we've already had a few thousand copies go out around the world. And it's a blessing to see what's happening in people's lives and the response they're having. Um, we're getting handfuls of comment back now. And as excited as I was to release it and as proud and, you know, I, I obviously I'm the author. So I think everything I write is the most awesome thing ever. But I was very excited to wait for the reviews to come back and see what people really honestly think of it. And and so far we've been getting rave reviews and um exactly you know better than what we expected we expected people to say oh this is great blah 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 and, and maybe point out some flaws but people are just like no it's a great manual to you know help me design the life i want and make things happen and they're loving it which is rad to see wonderful man wonderful congratulations that's awesome so you've achieved a lot in your life man so far you've uh, you're a peak performance coach you've traveled the world uh, you've given so much back and one of the things that i notice about you as well is that you do have a huge heart um, you love giving more than more than anything. And what I'd want to know, and I know a lot of other, uh, you know, the fans and followers of Addicted to Success would like to know is, you know, how can you give more in this world if you feel like you don't have enough finances or you're just kind of starting out? I get a lot of people ask me that question. Like, I want to do so much. I want to give so much back, but I don't have the money. What would your advice be for someone that uh, is in those shoes? Sure. Well, it's tricky because we, you know, if I were to set the, set the foundation and the setting of where we're at in history right now, um, specifically in the U.S., Australia, the U.K., you know, a lot of these first world countries, um, we're at a very advanced place where, as a young generation, we haven't had to live through a difficult time for the most part. We've had our own difficulties, but generationally as a country, we haven't lived through the Great Depression. We haven't lived through, you know, giant world wars. We haven't lived through really, really difficult, strenuous times. And therefore, you know, we've gotten to evolve. If you look at um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we've gotten to evolve to where so many young people are now focused at a very young age. Instead of on how do we find food and protect our family, it, we're now focused on like how do I self-actualize and make a difference in the world, which is a beautiful time in history. Um, the challenge of that is, and this is what these you know young people face nowadays. The challenge is the fact that. Um, because we haven't lived through a hard time, we also haven't figured out how to really, really, really endure hard work. And we don't value hard work. Now, a lot of people kind of roll their eyes when I say that because we do know how to work hard. <laughs> and we do know how to you know, really bust our tails when we love what we're doing. But for some reason, the stuff we don't like to do, the non-fun work, we avoid like the freaking plague or have this awesome new word called outsourcing. We get someone else to do it for us instead of taking pride in you know, rolling up our sleeves and saying, hey, give me the shovel, let me do it. And we live in a time where also 
everyone kind of wants to be a chief. And everyone wants to step back and tell other companies, you know, how they should run it better and how they should do it and, how, you know, adjusting their plan. But they haven't been doing it for 35, 36, 37 years and putting in all the hard work to make the decisions that are being made right now. You know, we enter a company and on day one as a junior associate go, hey, I think the firm should change how they do X, Y, and Z here. And it's like, wow, that's interesting. And the, the awesome part is as young people, we, we're intelligent as hell. We do know how to work hard on things we love. We're very great, you know, huge, huge, huge hearted people. But part of what gives you the ability to write a check for a hundred grand to an organization you love is the fact that you've busted your tail and been able to build that amount of wealth financially in your business and life. That's, that's where it comes from. It doesn't magically appear in your bank account. You're like, oh, hey, I got it. Now I'm going to share it with somebody. And it, it's the thought process of learn it, live it, give it. You know, we have people who've learned the fact and, and, and been inspired from their own heart of, I really want to give, I really want to share. You know, I, I know this is valuable and I want to pay it forward and they want to learn, you know, they want to learn how valuable it is and then they want to give it and pay it all forward. But the fact that they haven't lived it yet, they haven't gone out and really put in the elbow grease, the hard work, the daily grind to build the revenue it takes to be able to drop a check for a hundred grand to somebody is the part that they're just missing the message of live it in their own life, including contribution. <laughs> Uh, and, and that's what our book is all about. That's what our focus is, getting people to go out there and live it, not think about it, not talk about it, not preach about it, not you know, have the best intentions about it, but actually live it. And the thing is, you know, we're not the hero. We're not the one that comes in and says, you know, my, I'm going to show you the way. Follow me. I'm the hero. It's like, no, man. We're kind of the trusted advisor. We're that person if you – you know, we're the Obi-Wan, we're the person who you whisper in your ear and we're like, hey, you're the hero. You're the dude who's going to make all the things happen or the lady who's going to make the things happen. Let us give you a few tips that I've learned, not just myself. Like I didn't come up with all of this stuff. I learned it and I was very young and I got to learn it from my dad and other mentors at a very young age. And I, then I lived it. I really applied it. You know, I took the past five years of my life and I've, I've put everything to work in my own life. I've turned my own vision into reality. I then shared it with clients. Their visions turned into reality. And so now I get to kind of be that advisor and share what works with you, the people who are listening to this. And some of those you know, secret tricks of the trade, if you're looking for the inside of the kind of that strategy that might give you a, a way to shortcut it, is instead of trying to shortcut it, the, the fastest shortcut you could take is literally roll up your sleeves and work harder than anybody else around you. And if you look at people, I look up to people like Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, and he says, you know what? Have a sense of humor and always be the hardest working person in the room. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, hustle harder than any other human being around you. Outwork them. And I remember hearing a long time ago, if you're willing to do more than what other people are willing to do, you're going to get better results. And you know, the secret to success, addicted to success, I love the title, but if you wanted the secret to success, it's figure out what works and be willing to do it more times than any other person around you. And it comes down to willing. If you're willing to do it more times than anyone else around you, you're going to get better results than every one of them. Even if you're incredibly bad at what you're doing. <laughs> 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 to say, but even if you're horrible, if you do it more times than anyone else, eventually you're going to get better results than them because you're going to outwork them. And you know, that's what it takes at this point in history. Our live it message is obviously not just work hard. We have plenty of great insights in there and strategies to speed up the journey and give you all the shortcuts that we possibly can. At the same time, the core message is you have to be living it. 
you have to be taking the action. Um, coming all the way back to your question of, you know, how do you give when you don't have a lot? The key is to switch your mentality first and realize you do have more than enough. Um, and the simplest way to think about that is, you know, maybe if you don't have a ton of financial ability to give right now, which should bug you. If, you, if you're a good-hearted person and you want to be able to give financially and you can't, that should get under your skin and irritate you. I know it does me. I was at the Pencil of Promise Gala. It was 1000 bucks a ticket, which is a grip of money, uh, plus plane flights, plus hotels, plus everything else. And we're sitting there, and I watched the guy at the table next to me literally donate $100,000. And then the guy next to him donated $50,000. And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to be there one day. And it kind of pisses me off that I'm not there. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with being ticked off because you're not where you want to be. That's awesome. Use it as what we refer to as emotional rocket fuel. And all that means is you take the pain of not having what you want and you stack it. And you stack it on top of the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So you build up so much internal pain, but you refer to it as fuel. And you take that fuel and you use it to drive you forward. Now, that fuel, if you were going to be racing a car, is like NAS. It'll give you a huge kick in the ass and a strong push, but it literally, if you run a negative fuel for too long, it'll burn you out. It'll burn out your adrenals. It'll burn out you know, who you are as a person, and you'll lose your momentum. So that's like the jump start fuel that's kind of like, bam, like gives the explosion to get you moving, the pain, the frustration, the upset, the angst. Once you're moving, you have to then start stacking the pleasure. You got to start stacking of how amazing it's going to feel when you are able to cut that check, how amazing it's going to feel when you are living your dream life, how amazing it's going to feel and what are the possibilities and what are you going to be able to do and what else will be – and you stack one thing after the next thing after the next thing after the next thing. And what you do is you constantly refuel just like if you're in the Indy 500, you're going around the racetrack. You don't fill your tank once and try to go 500 laps. That's insane. You fill your tank. You go so many laps. You pull back in. You pit stop and you refuel. Just like that, you got to emotionally refuel yourself every day. So stack the pain in the morning, stack the, you know, stack all the pleasure in the morning, stack, 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 stack. People always ask, how much do you stack? You stack enough pain and pleasure until literally you are no longer standing or sitting still. Like you're driven to action and you're living it. You're out there moving because you physically can't sit still with that much emotional fuel built up inside of you. Now that'll propel you out into life to go get it done, but you got to remember to refuel every single day. Now, as you're out there, as you're using that motivation because you're pissed that you can't do it and you're excited and envisioning what it's going to be like when you can do it, writing that check and giving back, now what you can do right this moment to be able to give back is start saving up a you know, little bank account of time, meaning once a week put an hour aside that says, hey, I'm going to invest this hour into physically going helping somebody, helping a family member mow the lawn, helping your grandma move some furniture, helping your dad... I don't know, <laughs> whatever they need help with, files and papers. Um, I don't know what people's parents do or grandparents do, but figuring out how to help your neighbor, figuring out how to help your community, just the act alone of lit- having a little savings account, a time you set aside that you give to other people wanting nothing in return. And that's kind of a way to save. Is that, That's like, you know, if you have no money whatsoever to give, give some time. Now, at some point, you'll have a little bit of money to give. Awesome. Now you be the one who's selfish enough to pay for lunch or pay for dinner and surprise people and don't have them count on it. Don't have them expect it, but you know, go out to lunch or dinner with your parents or your friends or your family and just grab the bill or don't even grab it. Like go to pretend like you're going to the bathroom and on the way, grab the waitress and throw them your credit card and be like, here, pay for it all. Thanks. 
And now that's your next way of giving is you're, you know, you're giving a meal to the friends and family you love. And it's like, wow. And that's, a, you know, a little bit more. Then start a savings where like, you know, 20% of your money that you make every month goes into your personal savings. Set aside 5% every month to go towards some really cool project and let it save every single month. And you might have to save for like three years. But at that point, you might have a few thousand dollars set aside where you're like, dang, you know, now I get to go to that black tie gala for that event I've always wanted to and support them. Or, you know, now I get to pay this money forward and send it to build a well in Africa or whatever you've dreamed of doing. Um, another way to give that's an awesome, awesome, awesome way to do it right now is you don't have to be the one with all the funds. And this is something we love to do where as much as we love financially paying for money that we've earned, we also love teaming up and challenging our friends that join us in giving back. And so I know this next year we've actually um, made a made a promise, the pencils of promise, that we're going to build a school with them, which is twenty five thousand dollars over the next twelve months. So part of what we did is we put up a fundraising page, and we're asking people to to help us. Be like, hey, if you want to help build our school, toss fifty bucks or twenty bucks or a hundred bucks in every month and help us build it. You know, we're going to do a good portion of the funding ourselves, and we're opening it up to people in our community who don't have an extra 25 grand to write themselves to toss in 50 or 20 bucks or 10 bucks or 100 bucks at a time. That way they can still have the fulfillment of being like, hey, I helped build a school this year. Like I was part of that. And every penny counts because, you know, when the school is built, the school is built. And it's that thought process of find an organization you like, put up a funding page for them. There's tons of sites that allow you to do it online. We do it through Kiva, not Kiva, um, State Classy, I think. And it allows people to join in and help us build that school, which is another great way. Find organizations you like and give them just a handful of money every week or month. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. That definitely answers our question. That's a really good answer. Thank you. Just going back to, you know, you referring to people like The Rock and Gary Vaynerchuk and how they're on this relentless pursuit for success. I mean, that's what we strive for at Addicted to Success. But I think that one thing that has become a big issue for a lot of, especially younger generation is distraction. And also not just distraction, but focusing on the minor things. You know, like uh, you have a lot of people where like, let's say some girls like worried about what their makeup is like or um, how their hair is done. And some guys are worrying about their shoes or buying like the, the fancy cars, but they're not really doing anything to work towards a bigger vision. What would your advice be for those that need to start focusing on the bigger, bigger picture in life? Like what strategies could they use to focus on the bigger picture? It's huge. I mean, this is a foundational element to having the life you want or not having it. And you're right. There's so many people who are addicted to minor things. And we talk about this in, in our book. Um, you know, we live in a generation where the average young person will spend at least 10,000 hours between before, I mean, before they're, tw- by the time they're 21 years old, they'll spend about 10,000 hours playing video games. And there's nothing wrong with playing video games. I mean, you can become the most awesome warlord on World of Warcraft and you can be the most badass sniper in Medal of Honor, whatever game you play. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's awesome. I like the fact that you have all your medals and awards and congratulations for kicking everyone else's ass in the world. Awesome. At the same time, unless that game helped you become healthier, more emotionally fit, made your relationships better, you know, financially helped you organize your life and get yourself set up to be financially free and, you know, spiritually connected you in some way, you're in trouble. 
uh, because why master the things in life that you know literally are just a distraction to be a pleasurable experience where in the moment it feels good, but that pleasure disappears the moment you're done doing it versus something that's really fulfilling where in the moment it feels good and that fulfillment consistently lasts over time. And the example I would give you, you know, if you spent, let's say, again, 10,000 hours mastering a video game, if you spent even a few thousand hours mastering your health, which one do you think is going to pay dividends when you're 50, 60, 70 years old? I'm sure you will be very proud of the video game status you achieved. And when you're 50, 60 years old and you're healthy and vibrant and alive and enjoying life and out there doing big things, I'm guessing you're going to value your health a little bit more at that stage, you know, emotionally. Instead of getting so wound up in a video game or so wound up in television or so wound up in, like you said, what dress you're wearing and what your heels look like and do you have the latest fashion like all the other girls or guys, you know, do you have the fastest car? I'm sure the fastest car is so cool in your 20s, 30s, and maybe 40s, but all of a sudden you hit 50s and 60s and you're like, meh, been there, done that. And in all honesty, we live in a time where, you know, why waste $200,000 that could literally send your kids to college, that could literally set you financially free for life when you could spend maybe 500 bucks and rent it for the afternoon. Get the same thrill, get the same emotional high, but you make a smarter decision, invest the money, and now you never have to work again past a certain age of your life. And it's like people don't think that way. I, I'll give you another example. Um, I was reading about Warren Buffett and his mindset. and He thinks of compounding interest all the time. And so you know, when someone goes, oh my God, I, you know, if you won the lotto, what would you do? If you won $6 million in the lotto, what would you do with it? And people think like, oh man, I'd buy this house and I'd take this trip and I'd, you know, drive this car and, you know, I'd invest in these companies and they think of all the things they do to spend all the money. And if you thought like Warren Buffett, you go, no, $6 million at two to 3% a year interest, which is very, very, very low, safe, safe investing then that would mean you'd get roughly $120,000 a year in interest for life by investing it at 2 to 3%. Yeah. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine getting $120,000 a year in interest without ever having to lift your finger to do anything? <laughs> over six figures. Meaning you could, yeah, over six figures six, just fading. Over six figures a year. I mean, you're making $10,000 a month and you literally could like wake up and stare at the ceiling all day and do nothing and it would still show up no matter what. But that's not the first thing someone thinks about when they think of $6 million. Like if I said, hey, congratulations, you won $6 million bucks. What's the first thing you'd buy? Yeah, that's a short-term appreciate. It's like they want things in the short-term. They're not willing to stick it out. And I know Warren Buffett would even – I was reading his book actually and he was saying that he would wait a decade to decide whether or not he's going to actually buy into certain shares. Like he'll watch it for like 10 years sometimes. To have that mindset of like – and that patience, I mean, that's why he is like one of the richest men in the uh, in the world. Yeah, and he's incredibly frugal. And the guy's, you know, multi-billionaire and he drives a normal car, lives in a normal little house and does his thing. And I get people like stuff and they like the flash and be ballers and whatever other words they use. But the truth is when you can get your mindset shifted to the long-term game like that, you know, fulfillment's a long-term game. I'm going to do this because not only is it going to make me feel good now, but 20 years from now, I'm still going to be really proud I did this. And when you start transitioning to that mindset, it'll help you lay the foundation to build everything else upon. Yeah. And you know, the best example is if I came over and you bought a new house and I walked in, what's the first thing I would compliment you on? Most people compliment people on like the view, the chandelier, the paint job, the decorations, the furniture. 
you know, have you ever watched someone walk in a house and like start stomping all over the ground and be like, wow, look at the foundation you built this on. Holy, like, give me, give me a flashlight, man. I need to get up under here. Like, let me get in the basement and check out the foundation. Like, this is solid, man. Like you built this house on solid rock. This is legit. Like you don't hear that because that's not what people compliment or pay attention to. But I'll tell you this, if you build your house on the wrong foundation, your house will be gone. And that's the thought process you got to think about with your life. Um, our whole book, our whole philosophy is built on how do you set the right foundation so that long-term you're set up to win. You cover a lot of different points that I feel completes the whole picture. I feel that it completes what you need to be doing in life to not only reach a level of success, but also maintain it, which is great. One of the points in your book that really stood out to me was overcoming your limiting beliefs. And we have a lot of people that come through addicted to success that leave a lot of comments and they say that this is all good or this advice is all good, but I don't think that that will happen for me. And obviously that at the end of the day is like they don't believe in themselves. So what would you tell you know someone that you're coaching how they can conquer their, their limiting beliefs? Um, it, it's simple. We broke it into a four-step process. And this is something I learned from my dad a long time ago. And the four-step process is number one, you got to identify what the limiting belief is. And you just got to be cool with labeling a limiting belief and saying, hey, you know, does this belief help me move closer to my vision for my life? Or does this belief keep me away from my vision for my life? And if it slows you down, keeps you away, or in any way hinders your ability to get to your vision as fast as possible, just label it. Be like, hey, limiting belief, it's slowing me down. Now, once you've identified it, you got to make a decision. And the decision is to no longer allow that belief to ever limit you again. And so I would ask you, instead of me telling you what it is, just ask and say, you know, what decision would you have to make today to never allow that belief to slow you down again? And you have to remember how powerful a simple decision is. It's like Rosa Parks in the U.S. made a decision. Her decision was, no, you know, I'm not going to move to the back of the bus. And it was a time where racial segregation was going on. And that one decision that one woman made on that one day on one bus changed history for millions of people in the U.S., now, you go to someone like, let's say, Mother Teresa. She made a decision. I don't want people to ever die feeling alone. One nun, one woman started traveling the world, finding a way to make people feel connected to as they were dying. She changed history. You know, became a saint that everyone looks up to and admires and still talks about today, many years after she's deceased. Gandhi made a decision. I'll stand up for what I believe in. Nelson Mandela made a decision. I'll find a way to work with the people who, you know, imprisoned me for 27 years. And he changed history and he, he, he led a country to freedom. It's amazing. So one decision can absolutely change history if you allow it to. And my question would be, you know, in order to change your history today, what decision would you have to make about these limiting beliefs? Now, once you've made that decision, the next question is, how do you truly commit to it? And I think most people today have forgotten what commitment is all about. You know, we used to live in a time where a handshake was enough and, and a man's word was enough to say, if he, if he said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Nowadays, we live in a place where, you know, if you don't have three contracts and five lawyers to back it up, most people are going to be like, eh, screw you, I'm out. And, and not even, like, people make commitments and don't even follow through. They sign a contract, a written formal agreement that says, I will do X. And halfway through the contract, they go, yeah, I don't like it anymore. No, thanks. I'm out. Happens all the time. And people think it's totally normal, which is a radical thing in my mind. I don't understand how they think it's normal to commit to something and then just drop out when they don't feel like it anymore. Yeah. 
And so going back to that thought of what would you have to believe about this decision to actually follow through on your commitment and make it last? The final piece is, I mean, if you want to see a beautiful example of commitment, Google John Wooden Love Letters. And you'll see a man who was 100% all in and committed to what he believed in in the world. It's beautiful. Um, and the final piece is, you know, once you've identified limiting belief, you've made a true decision to, to cut it out of your life and no longer allow it to stop you. You've decided that you are 100% committed to following through no matter what. The final piece that you got to say is, okay, what action can I take right now to prove to myself that this is real? And so you got to come up with an action. And, and you got to do something immediately right now in the moment to prove to yourself that it's legit and it's real. Now, at that point, you've taken the limiting belief and, and you'll destroy it with action. And the fastest way to kill a limiting belief is go take an action that proves it wrong. You know, if you say, I'm not good at sales, walk out the front door and go sell something to somebody. Why? Because you'll immediately rewire your nervous system and be like, oh shit, maybe I am good at sales. <laughs> you know, if you're like, I'm not good at meeting women, wait, walk out the front door, look for a woman, walk up and just say hello. Like, you don't have to say anything else, just say hello. Yeah. yeah and yeah. all of a sudden you'll be like, whoa, maybe I am good at meeting women. You got to challenge it with action, which is the whole concept. Live it, go take the action. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we almost get really good. We become these masters at talking ourselves out of things. Like we actually, we're our own best uh, storytellers. And I think you got to stop telling yourself these uh, negative stories or these limiting uh, stories. That's for sure. Yeah, you got to stop telling the negative ones. You got to start telling the ones that actually inspire you and move you to action. Hundred mm, percent. Now you've shared the stage with uh, you know a lot of notable speakers and influential people man and i'm sure you've met quite a lot throughout your travels in the world so what would you say has been the biggest lesson that's been handed down to you or the best advice that you've ever received um be yourself be your true 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 authentic self do things that make you happy do things that make you feel fulfilled long term learn live and give learn what it takes to to live the life you want live it fully and then find a way to pay it forward um always be the hardest worker in the room you know do the hard easy do the hard stuff now so that it's easy later and you know fall in love with hard work fall in love with life in its simplest form if you want to have a life of meaning create deep meaning and purpose in all that you do i think that's one of my favorite life lessons i was living in a village in uganda and i met this man who was a janitor at a hospital in a village and just swept leaves every day and when I, you know, he's so happy and so fulfilled in his late 80s, it looks, seemed like he was in his 80s. And I, I interviewed him and had a translator and asked him, you know, why do you do what you do? And he said, the reason I do what I do is I believe every human being, whether it's a small baby about to enter this world or a sick or elderly person about to leave this world, deserves a clear path to do so. And I figured out why this man was so fulfilled with his life because he wasn't just sweeping leaves every day. He was clearing a path for people to enter and exit the world. And it's like, what a noble thing to do. And he felt so fulfilled and he was so happy every day doing something so freaking simple. Yet you meet people who are, you know, stockbrokers and engineers and investors and like all these amazing technical jobs and they feel miserable because they'd add no purpose and no meaning to who they are and what they do every day. So it's teaching people how do you add that deep meaning and purpose to all that you do. Um, so many life lessons. Beautiful, beautiful, man. What would you advise people to do um, that are struggling to find their purpose in life? Uh, anyone who's struggling to find their purpose, I would say look around and figure out what's meaningful and purposeful to you. Um, and find a way to do that in your life and do that in your community. And if it's giving back, then you know, find a way to go give back. If it's building something that matters, find a way to build it. If there's 
if it, it's standing out in some unique way by who you are as a person, then, then do it. And as you do it, just do it with the intention of really adding that meaning and purpose into your life and what you deliver to the world. And there's something that I've seen consistent is when people feel they're making a contribution to society, the world, a community, a group, or some organization that they feel really matters, that's what adds deep meaning and purpose is figuring out, you know, what is your gift to share with the world and then going out and sharing that gift. And that gift can be as simple as knowledge or love or listening and that gift can be complex as, you know, chemical engineering. Like, <laughs> I don't know who you are and what you do, but whatever your gift is to the world that you feel is valuable, go out and find a way to share that gift in a place where it is received as value. And the thought process, I always say, you know, if you want to be the most valuable person in your community, be the person who adds the most value. Great answer. Great answer, man. Thank you. So we're just wrapping the interview up and uh, I like to leave the interview with this last question. This question is, if you had... 30 seconds to deliver your last speech to the world. It's your final speech. What would that 30 seconds be? Be yourself, have fun, be the hardest worker in the room. And again, go out and learn what it takes to live the life you want, live it, turn it into reality, have fun doing it and pay it forward, give it, share all that you can with others around you and help them do the same. 